Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah. And we will be in chapter number 13 tonight. We've got one more chapter after tonight. And then we go to the book of Malachi. It's only four chapters, and we will have finished the Minor Prophets. So you guys have hung in there, and I don't know about you, but I've been blessed by the study, and, and uh, it certainly has been a fitting study to go along with what we're learning in Revelation. So, so uh, it's, it's certainly been worth our while, and, and uh, I think all of us have read through this and studied this have come away with a better knowledge of God and, and how he works in the world, and and how he works in our own personal life, so that so that that makes it a blessing. Uh, again, as we come to these last few chapters, uh, Zechariah is is uh, uh, giving us some very detailed prophecies about the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. A lot of these prophecies are are quoted in the Gospels and elsewhere. So, so uh, we uh, one of them in uh, seems to be paraphrased in. A couple of them in the Book of Revelation. So, so again, this is certainly pertinent to our our study on Sunday morning. Uh, the question is, I mean, here is Israel, and Zechariah is great prophet, and I, you know, just reading this prophecy, I mean, the whole prophecy of Zechariah. If I was to measure his personality. I would say he was really an encourager. I mean, some of these prophets, man, they're kind of like, whoa. <laughs> you, know, you know, they're pretty strong and pretty, you know, almost kind of gruff in the way they approached their material. But Zechariah, to me, is, is such an encourager. I know these passages have been so encouraging to me, and I know that God was using him to encourage this group of Israelites who had come back into the promised land and they were building the temple and they were rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and they were doing all of this work. And so he's trying to show them, the Lord's trying to show them through Zechariah that all of this is heading toward a conclusion where, where really great things are going to happen on this earth. But, you know, the question is, did it work? I mean, did, did, did they receive this encouragement? That's kind of way I want to start introduce this text tonight because... It's really sad because I was reading through the Gospels a couple of weeks ago, or I'm reading through them now, and I was in Matthew a couple of weeks ago, and I came across that passage in Matthew 23 where Jesus is giving the woes to the Pharisees and the scribes and the hypocrites, and one of the things that he rebukes them for is because of the way they had treated the prophets. And in one of those verses, he says, you killed Zechariah, the son of... Uh, Barakiah uh, in between the temple and the altar. And so there on the temple mount, uh, right there where the two witnesses will be doing their thing in, uh, when in, in, a sh in a short time from now, that's where Zechariah was killed. Now, I can't imagine him being killed. I mean, I just, I don't see anything here other than encouragement. But what that shows you is just how hard-hearted these Israelites were. I mean, they had been in captivity for 70 years. You would think this new generation would have learned their lesson, especially some of the older guys. They would have learned their lesson. But Zechariah comes along, and they don't like what he has to say. 
And when they don't like what he has to say, what is that saying? They don't really like what God has to say. They don't like him, then they don't like God. And you would think, maybe, you know, and, and Jesus gives them a strong rebuke for that, and he said, you would have done the same thing. In fact, they're going to do a lot. Those, those Pharisees and scribes that Jesus was talking to did a lot worse than these guys did. They killed a prophet. They killed the Son of God. And so uh, you got to say, you know, you see the mercy of God in all of this. Because you think God would just throw up his hand and say, I've had enough of you people. But, you know, before we get too uh, critical of the Israelites, without the Spirit of God, we're just as hard-hearted as they were and just as hard-hearted as they are now. The only hope for mankind, the only hope for the Israelite, the only hope for the Gentile is the Spirit of God. The only hope is salvation through Jesus Christ for him to pay for our sins and then give us the new life that, that makes us different people, that takes away that sin nature and gives us new life. Actually, the sin nature stays till you die, but one day it'll be gone. And that's really the only hope for any of us is the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and that's what Zechariah really, I think, in this chapter is, is going to tell us, that, that, that Jesus is our hope. He's our only hope, and he's certainly the hope for the Israelites. In verse number one, he says, In that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for their uncleanness. Their, for the uncleanliness, really it says uncleanness, but I think uncleanliness might be a better word there from an English standpoint. But who's that fountain? Who's the fountain? It's, the fountain is none other than Jesus Christ. And what is the fountain? It's his blood. It's the flow of his blood that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And in that day, in that day, that fountain is going to be open not only for the Gentiles like it has been for the church. It's going to also be open for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And so that's their hope. Just like Jesus is our hope, he's their hope. And when he says in that day, what day is he talking about? He's talking about the day of the Lord. And he's talking about the part of the day of the Lord when Jesus returns to this earth and the millennium begins. And when that day comes, uh, the Israelites are going to receive the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because uh, uh, that's what they have to have. You were told in... And uh, as we saw last week, that for now there's, this, uh, the, uh, uh, there, there's a spirit of blindness that has come upon the Israelites until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And it's not until they are, God pours out his spirit on them, like we saw in that chapter last week, that they will be able to receive the gospel. And when they see the, receive the gospel, they will finally look on him whom they've pierced and they will mourn. Uh, uh, for their sin, for their, especially for the great sin of killing the Messiah. Uh, and then he says in verse number two, it shall be in that day, in the day in which the Lord returns, says the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land and they shall no longer be remembered. I mean, the whole history of the Israelites um, um, they, in, in their entire history, they were immersed in idolatry. 
They were always chasing after other gods. And that, again, says they really didn't like Jehovah God. And I think sometimes we don't like the way the Lord does things, and so we are prone to go chasing after some kind of idol. And, and again, so we can't cast stones of them. But, but he says, in that day, when the millennium begins, says the Lord, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, and they shall no longer be remembered. And I will also cause the prophets and the unclean spirits to depart from the land. So in the millenniums, there are not going to be any more idols. Idols really, when, when people worship idols, really who are they worshiping? They're worshiping demonic spirits. And so in the millennium, those demonic spirits are going to be gone. They're going to be cast into the pit, and they're going to be held for the judgment. And uh, then at the very end of the millennium, they're going to be released, and it's going to, again, be a lesson on how wicked men are without the Spirit of God because people are going to turn to these and back to these idols and back to Satan. But it's only going to last that long. That rebellion is only going to last that long and then it's going to be over. But until that happens, there won't be any demonic spirits on this earth. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a world without demonic spirits? I mean, a world where there's nothing but purity and truth and can you imagine where your thought life is nothing but pure and clean? It's, it's based upon the truth of the word of God. And you truly do at that point have the mind of Christ. And no longer are you harassed by demonic spirits who tell you how worthless and terrible you are and all of those things that we hear from the devil. I mean, all of that will be gone in the millennium. And we'll be, we will be free to worship God fully in spirit and in truth. And the prophets will be gone from the land. Now primarily I think here he's talking of the false prophets. The false prophets will be gone. Uh, those prophets who led people into idolatry. And, and there are a lot of them out there. We got a lot of them in America. Any, any version of Jesus Christ or any version of Jehovah God that doesn't come from this Bible is idolatry. And there's a lot of people that are teaching a Jesus Christ that's not the Jesus Christ. I mean, I mean, in America, we don't bow down, at least not much at this point, we don't bow down to pagan gods. Now, some people do, but we bow down, bow down to all sorts of idols that represent uh, supposedly Jehovah God, but it's not truly Jehovah God. And, uh, and uh, in that day, hey, those prophets who lead people into idolatry are going to be gone. They're going to be totally gone. But in one sense, you stop and think about it, there really won't be any need for prophets in that day because all prophecy will be fulfilled at that point. So there won't be any need for prophets. There really won't be any need for Bible teachers in that day. Now, I know some people, I've heard some preachers say, you know, I'm going to keep right on teaching the word when I get to heaven. You know, maybe there's a place for that in some far off part of the land, but I don't think so. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 8. He says, and speaking of the new covenant and speaking of the millennium, he says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. Now, he's talking about the house of Israel. You can use that in a spiritual sense, but I think in a literal sense, he's talking about the nation of Israel. When they are saved, he's going to write, just like he's done with us in the new covenant, 
uh, he's going he's gonna to write his laws on their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and finally they will be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. When Isaiah speaks of the millennium in chapter 54 of his prophecy, listen to what he says. He says, I will make your peaks as rubies and your gates as crystal and your walls as precious stone. And listen to this. I love this line right here. And all your children will be taught by the Lord, by the Lord himself. I don't know if he's going to send out TV signals. and they're going to, You know, they're going to have TV in the room. and It's not going to be Sesame Street. It's going to be Jehovah God teaching them. I don't know how it's going to work. But they're all going to be taught by the Lord. And great shall be the peace of your children. Now, there will be people who will have children in that day. We won't, as the church, we'll have all the children we're going to have at that point. But there will be people who will have children in that day, the people that live on this earth. And, and, and uh, the reason that they're going to have peace, that the children are going to have peace, is that all the unclean spirits are gone. And all the idols are gone. And they're going to be taught by the Lord. And what's the Lord going to teach them? He's going to teach them nothing but truth. And so truth is going to reign in that day. Now, we can get a taste of that right now. You want peace in your home. You want real peace in your home, then follow that formula right there. Keep the idols and evil spirits out of your home. And let the Lord, his word, be your, your teacher. And there will be peace in the home. You know, I, I've run across people from time to time, and, and they don't have peace in the home. And I, nine out of ten times, or really every time to some degree, there's, it's because there's evil spirits in that home. And there's, there's idols in that home. That, and and you know, i got to tell you what, much of what is, goes out on the airways on television is demonic. It's just demonic. And more and more so, what you see in movies, it's demonic. And so when you allow your children to, to partake in those things, then, then you're allowing them per, to partake in the things of evil spirits. And, and, and there's not going to be peace in the home. I had a couple one time, a, a lady told me, I mean, she asked me, she said her, her son was having bad dreams and seeing visions of demons in his room. And I asked her, I said, is he involved in, any, in the occult in any way? And she said, no. I said, well, anybody else in the family? She said, well, yeah, his brother is in the hard satanic rock, and uh, he's playing all that music in the home, and his brother's going in there and listening to it. So I said, well, that's, there's your problem right there. I said, you got to get that out of your home. You don't have peace in your home until you get that out of your home. Uh, but anyway, that's that's... That's true for all of us, and I really think all of us, to some degree, allow things into our home that we shouldn't allow into our homes, and things that become idols and things that are uh, demonic in their nature. We have to be careful with that. All right, then in verse number 3, he says, It shall come to pass that if anyone still prophesies in that day, then his father and mother who begot him will say to him, You shall not live. Because you have spoken lies in the name of the Lord. 
and, and really, uh, this is about false prophecies, but if there's no reason to prophesy, if somebody's prophesying, then it's going to be a false prophecy, more than likely. And his father and mother, if you've got him, she'll thrust him through. She'd kill him. Uh, I'm going to tell you what. When we enter the millennium, we're not under law as being part of the church, but this world will be under law. Now, you go back and read the law, and false prophets were killed. Children who didn't obey their parents were killed. And they're going to be killed in the millennium. They're not going to have to be many of them killed. Because once one of them is killed, they're going to all shut up, all those false prophets. And once uh, one child sasses his mom and he's killed, there won't be any more sass in the mom. So, I mean, that sounds kind of harsh and cruel, but it, it, that kind of discipline, that kind of heavy discipline will produce righteousness and truth and, 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 and families, and, and we'll live, all live in peace because of that. But the discipline of it all will be severe. And you and I as the church will be governing over this land or these lands, and we will be judges over the land. And we'll be the ones who dish out this, this law. Uh, so uh, anyway, it, I mean, that's, that's the way I see it. I mean, maybe, maybe it won't be like that. But uh, with the law written on most people's minds and hearts, with us with a totally new nature, you're really not going to have much of this. But there are going to be new people born in this world. And they're going to have to come up and make their choices, too. People are still going to have choice in that day. And so uh, you and I will make all the right choices because we'll be totally filled with the Spirit of God. We'll be in new bodies. We won't have a fallen nature anymore. But I don't know about the people that are, that are born in this world. I believe they still will have a fallen nature, and they'll have to make choices. And it should come to pass, number, and verse number four, and it shall be in that day that every prophet will be ashamed of his visions and prophecies. In other words, if you have a vision or you have a dream, you really won't share it with anybody because all prophecy has been fulfilled. So probably it's coming somewhere from other than God because God's not going to be using prophecies and, and dreams and those kind of things in the millennium. That's what Paul talks about when he talks about these gifts will end at some point when Jesus Christ rules and reigns on this earth. They, they, they won't be necessary anymore. And so... Uh, uh, when somebody is prophesying and they're leading people, uh, telling them, hey, you need to, I heard this from God, then you better look out because it's probably not God who told them that because God's doing te all the teaching himself. I, you know, again, I, as far as the details go, whether or not there'll be teachers on this earth, maybe there'll be some of us that will be teachers, you know, but we will be filled with the Spirit of God and we will have a perfect nature and and we'll teach nothing but the truth of God, and we won't have dreams and visions at that point. So if anyone attempts to prophesy in that time, more than likely they're trying to lead the people astray, and so they're going to be killed, even if, even if uh, necessary by their own parents. At, and and uh, it's going to be great because of all of these things. It's going to be we're going to be live under, under, uh, in righteousness and truth. Can you imagine a day when good is called good and evil 
is called evil. And anybody that tries to change that and say, oh, well, really, you know, homosexuality is okay, they're going to get a, a false prophecy. They're going to get, they're going, they're going get themselves in trouble. They might ought to keep it to themselves in that day, probably, if that's what they think. <laughs> All right, verse number five. But he will say, I am no prophet. I am a farmer, for a man taught me to keep cattle from you. Every person who serves God in that day, I believe, you know, it's going to be like Amos. You know, we, we, there won't be any more professional preachers. There won't be any, any more clergy at that point. I, I believe we're going to live in an agrarian society. And uh, people who used to be prophets will be farmers. Uh, so uh, every man will have a place under his own fig tree. That tells you the population of this earth is probably not going to be that large. You know, maybe, I doubt if it's even a billion people, maybe, maybe in the millions. That war that we, uh, those wars and judgments that we're looking at in the book of Revelation is going to pretty much clean things out. There's not going to be many people left. But he will say, I'm no prophet. I'm a farmer for a man taught me to keep cattle from my youth. And uh, I, I got to tell you, in that day, this part maybe not so good. In that day, uh, the main attraction won't be Disney World. The main attraction won't be the Eiffel Tower in Paris. The main attraction won't be the Empire State Building in New York City. I don't think those things will be here anymore. The main attraction on this earth in that day will be the Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory. And, and I got to tell you, that might seem like a letdown for some people, but, but I promise you, when you see him in his glory, that will be the main thing. He should be the main thing for us now, but, but he certainly will be the main thing then. And in verse number six, he says, and one will say to, to him, in other words, we're, everybody's going to get their chance to see the Lord. Everybody's going to get their chance to, to see him. As a church, we're going to be living with him and ruling and reigning with him. Some of us might be doorkeepers in his house. I don't know exactly what we'll be doing in those days. Uh, but everybody will get to see him. And when they see him, listen to what they will say in verse number six. Chapter, I mean, verse number six. He says, and one will say to him, what are these wounds? between your arms. I like the King James Version better here. In thy hands. What are these wounds in thy hands? Then he will answer, those with which I was wounded, they are those which, which I was wounded in the house of my friends. I suffered those wounds in the house of my friends. What, what's the, basically what the Lord's going to do, he's going to share the gospel. He's saying, I was betrayed by my own people. John 1, 11, he came into his own and his own received him not. And that applies to Israel, but it also applies to every person on this earth. We, he came into his own creation, and his creation received him not. You could put it that way. And so he was wounded for our transgressions. And every time we see the Lord in glory, I think we're going to ask that question. I mean, what are these wounds in your hands? I mean, we're going to know where the wounds came from. We know they came from the cross, and I think most people know that. But, I mean, what in us, Lord, 
caused you to suffer in such a way for your people? I mean, what are these wounds in your hand? And, and I think forever we're going to be amazed that the, of the love of God that was manifested on the cross. And we're going to see those nail-scarred hands and we're going to say, what are these wounds? What are these wounds? I mean, what made you do this? We know it's his love, but it's still going to astonish us uh, forever. I'm reminded of Bebo Norman's song, Amazing Love. And I think it's basically the way we'll see this. He says, my Lord, what love is this that pays so dearly that I, the guilty one, shall go free? Amazing love, what sacrifice the Son of God given for me. And every time we see those nail-scarred hands, I mean, we can say, my Lord, what love is this that pays so dearly that I get to go free, that I get to live with you forever, that I'm part of your kingdom. And then at this point, Jehovah God, the Lord of hosts, interjects this great prophecy that we're all familiar with. Listen to what he says. He goes back to the time just a few hours before he dies on a cross. And he says in verse number 7, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. That's the Lord of hosts speaking. And who's his shepherd? The Lord Jesus Christ. Against the man who is my companion, my constant companion, says the Lord of hosts. That's why Jesus said, I and the Father are one. I mean, the Father's thoughts are Jesus' thoughts. I mean, they're, they're, that's, they're constantly together because they're one. And then now he goes to the cross and he says, strike the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. Sound familiar? Right out of the Gospels, right? Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Who are the sheep? The disciples. But also this refers to Israel. Because he says, then I will turn my hand against the little ones. I, because of what they did to Jesus Christ, the Lord of hosts says, I will turn my hand against you. And it's pretty severe judgment because look at what he says in verse number 8. And it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds of the people in it shall be cut off and die. But one-third shall be left in it. So in the first part of this prophecy, he's talking about the night in which he was crucified when he said to his disciples, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, Mark 14, 27. But it also refers to the nation of Israel. And after he was crucified, you remember what happened. Just a few years after, a few decades after he was crucified. Then uh, Titus, the Roman general, the, the son of the emperor, came down and to squelch a rebellion. And when he did, he virtually destroyed the Jewish nation. He burnt down their buildings and, and uh, he, he killed most of them. He killed two-thirds of that nation. Two-thirds of the people in Israel died under that uh, Roman attack and they were scattered throughout the earth at that point. So fits that prophecy per perfectly. And I think those same numbers apply to the Great Tribulation. I believe in the Great Tribulation that, that uh, uh, they're going to they're gonna be duped by the Antichrist and uh, they're going to turn to the Antichrist instead of turning to the Lord and uh, the Lord's going to punish them for that. And they're going to be killed and they're going to be scattered in that day. Uh, and two-thirds of them, two-thirds of, I believe, the world's population 
is going to die in the great tribulation. And so uh, at least two-thirds. And so uh, he's got a purpose in that, though. Listen to what he says in verse number 9. He says, I will bring the, and I believe that's our last verse. He said, I will bring one-third through the fire, and I will refine them as silver is refined, and the rest of them as gold is tested. Now, after they're refined, that doesn't mean they're, they're saved. All he does through this fire is to prepare them for the revival that's going to come when Jesus Christ returns to this earth. So that's what this is all about. Uh, Two-thirds of them are going to die. One-third of them is going to make it through. And uh, then God's going to pour out his spirit on them because they're going to be ready to receive his spirit. They're going to be ready for anything the true God gives them after what the Antichrist has done to them. And they won't want anything to do with any Antichrist anymore or any idols anymore. And then they're ready now to receive their God. And he says, they will call on my name. And this time they're going to finally mean it. And I will answer them and I will say, this is my people. And each one of them will say, the Lord is my God. Man, that's, that's quite a, that's not, I mean, these people that Zechariah is speaking to right now uh, are in the time he wrote this prophecy, they killed him because they didn't want to hear that word. But after the great tribulation, they're going to be refined and they're going to be ready to finally receive the Lord. And in that day, they, they will call upon me. Now, who's me? He says, they will, he says they will call on my name. What's his name? Well, his name is wonderful. You remember when Manoah and his wife saw the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, they asked him his name. And he said, my name is wonderful. What he meant by that, my name is above all names. And, and uh, he didn't tell them the name, but we know that name, that that name is Yeshua, Jesus Christ. And they will call upon his name, the name of Jesus. And we'll see that is one name, only one name. We'll see that in the text next week. And Jesus will say to the Israelites, all of those people who betrayed him, he, says, you, he will say, you are my people. And every single one of them will say back to him, Jehovah, Jesus, you are my Lord, my God. Finally, they will have arrived. We're, we've gotten a jump start on all of that by the grace of God. Thank goodness. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. All right, one more chapter next week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word and... Uh, we just, uh, again, we're just so blessed by all of these promises that are made about uh, this coming great time when you rule on this earth, Lord. It, uh, you're going to rule with an iron fist, but that's what's going to make this earth what it needs to be, Lord, because you're going to rule in righteousness and truth and in grace and in mercy. And we just, we thank you for that day, Lord. We look forward to that day. Father, uh, we just ask that... Uh, uh, We've been given uh, these mysteries, Lord. They've been opened up to us. We know who you are now. We know your name. We know your wonderful name. It's none other than Jesus Christ. It's a name above all names, Lord. And, and, Lord, we've made it into your kingdom. And we just ask that you use us, Lord, uh, in our lives 
in our homes, uh, in our workplace, wherever you send us, Lord, we ask that you use us to, to, to bring others to Christ. And, and uh, uh, Lord, to save as many out of the fire that's coming that we possibly can. Father, we just thank you for your plan. We thank you how clear it is. Uh, we thank you that, that uh, there's such hope for, for a millennium and for eternity through Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.